are with episode three of what is this thing called again? How come they didn't teach me this in school? I had a note here. Every time. <laughs> Welcome to what we do. All right, let's pause the recording. Here we are with episode three of How Come Nobody Taught Me This in School, our podcast about social-emotional learning. I am Dr. Liz Dexter-Mazza, and I'm here with my co-host. Mariah Covington. Hi, guys. Yep. And today we we're so excited that we have a special guest with us, Dr. Jim Mazza, also known as my husband and partner and partner in everything we do. Happy to um, be here. Yeah, so we're here. And today's topic is SEL, what is it? It is such a big buzzword that people are always talking about, especially during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic and kids being out of school for so long since March. And everybody's talking about we need to be focusing on the mental wellness and the social emotional um, experiences of youth today. So let's, we brought Jim in here to talk with us, Mariah and I, about what is SEL? And Mariah will talk about today, what does SEL look like in her school? And then we can both talk about, especially with Jim here, what is the DBT skills in schools, um, the DBT Steps A curriculum, and how is that being implemented in lots of schools? So Mariah, why don't you kind of just join in with us first and talk about um, what your role is and why SEL is important to you at, for personally and then at your school? Okay, so um, I uh, had said an episode before, but if for the new people that are listening, I work at Monument Academy. Um, uh, it is a weekday boarding school in Washington, D.C. Um, my population or our population is 100% African-American, 70% boys. Um, it is also like kind of in the middle of the city. It's not like on the outskirts. Um, my role there is I am the DBT manager. So basically that's our SEL program. Um, and you really need somebody to kind of be at the head of that because it's, it's, it's the whole entire school takes it um, four days out of the week. So why is it important to say curriculum that they're in a class for that four days a week? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and for me, why it's important is definitely sets up the day, gives something for people to draw on. And I have said before, when you ask teachers what gets in the way of them being able to teach the class, the number one thing they're going to say is behavior, um, especially for me. So I think that SEO is something that everybody can draw on in the entire school so that they're all speaking the same language. They're all saying the same skills to draw on when these students are having emotional dysregulation issues. Awesome. And Jim, as a school psychologist, can you talk to us and our audience about what is social emotional learning and what does it look like in schools across the continuum from elementary school through high school? Yeah, so social emotional learning is kind of the complementary side of the academic piece, right? And so our schools have been set up all the way from kindergarten through high school to provide academic learning and provide the foundation so that kids can learn other uh, academic skills, right, to prepare them for their careers. And what we've been able to see in social emotional learning is that if we also spend some time working on kids' behaviors and working on helping them resolve situations and to reduce some of their anxiety and to give them skills and strategies to be more focused in school, 
right? That their actual academic output is, is better. Their, their attainment is better. And so when we uh, complement social emotional learning with the academics, we get higher GPAs, we get less disciplinary problems, we get less behavior problems like Mariah was talking about. And our teachers actually see the kids more uh, on task, right? So the teachers also get a benefit that their teaching is then more uh, effective in, in the kids. Excellent. And so do you want to talk about, Jim, the DBT Step Say curriculum and what it is and why we think it's really important, especially at the middle and high school level? So the DBT Step Say curriculum was uh, developed by ourselves here, plus some other colleagues, right? And so the idea being that we know that our middle school and high school kids in developmentally is a time when things are getting, getting challenged, right? So their bodies are starting to go into puberty or are coming out of puberty. There's a lot of social pressures that are happening. Uh, it's the big hormonal shifts right. in it's, mood. It's, a, it's, it's the time that we develop too the, what we call abstract reasoning, right? We can start to take somebody else's perspective and that's always helpful in as we, we develop. And it also then gives us awareness of what other people might be thinking. It also then provides us with some of our, what we call hypervigilance, right? We're, we're really at a spot where we're concerned about how we look, how other people perceive us, um, our place in our social group and so forth. And so the social emotional learning curriculum that we developed, DBT Steps A, helps our um, middle schoolers and high schoolers learn how to work with some of their uh, awareness that they have as well as in some of the emotions that they're experiencing, because sometimes it goes from zero to 100 within like a split second, how do they work on trying to reduce some of the intensity and the uh, severity of those emotions while at school or at home or with their parents, right? So there's many places where they can utilize some of these skills that are there uh, to be more effective, because we, we get into relationships uh, during this time and we blow them up really quickly with our emotions and we make decisions that aren't very effective for us uh, as part of growing up. What we do want to do is to make sure when we make those decisions that they're not involving self-harm or suicidal behavior, that we're not having such emotional, what we call dysregulation, such emotional upsetness that we start taking it out on ourselves or others. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned um suicidal behavior and self-harm because I think when people hear DBT or dialectical behavior therapy that's often what they think about first is like oh that's the treatment for those extreme life-threatening behaviors and that's accurate that DBT when originally developed by um, Dr. Marsha Linehan she developed it to treat severe emotion dysregulation that often would manifest itself in life-threatening behaviors. And what we have found over time through the research is that DBT is, especially the skills of DBT, have been really effective for a variety of disorders and a variety of problems in that it really focuses on emotion, dis emotion regulation strategies and behavior regulation strategies, which is why you and I then decided to take your expertise of school psychology and implementation of programs and my DBT expertise and to put that together to take these skills and turn them into a curriculum so that everybody gets it. Right. Right. Everybody learns them because that's for my experience. I think I've said this in a previous episode is that people would come back to us over and over after they'd finished dialectical behavior therapy and say, why didn't somebody teach me these skills earlier? I could have used them earlier and not gotten to this place of such a struggle if somebody would have taught them to me. So, and that's why you and I decided to put them in together a curriculum so somebody can teach them that you all can teach these 
emotion regulation, behavior regulation, relationship skills to your students as a part of general education. That's right. And, you know, uh, people like Mariah, who, is, who are using them at Monument Academy, right? These students that are there, they don't have to have disorders, right? They don't have to be classified that way. What, they, what we want to make sure that we were, what we were doing is they didn't have to wait to come and see you who has a wait list, mm -hmm. right? So we wanted to give go what we call upstream to help all kids so they didn't burn out some of these relationships. They didn't get involved in suspensions or expelled from school, right? So we think adolescents have drama in their lives just kind of regardless, right? So the idea was to help all the adolescents with situations that cause emotional distress to them, right? Sometimes it's disordered, sometimes it's not. We do know that, that emotions though impact all adults, just not kids, they impact all adults, right? And so what we wanna do is help our kids stay in school, help our kids manage those relationships, help our kids learn their academics by complementing uh, strategies that keep their emotions kind of under control, under their control, right? So it's helpful for decision-making, it's helpful for asking somebody out on a date. It's helpful for staying focused on work. It's helpful for talking to parents. And athletics, and sports, really, all that. Correct. So I love that you brought that up and kind of bring that whole piece. And what I want to think, I think Mariah would be really helpful now to talk about, you know, Monument Academy is implementing DBT Steps A in its grades. And you said the kids get it four times a week it's being taught. Can you talk in more detail about what Steps A looks like at Monument Academy? And even more so, how do the kids respond to it? And what is the impact you've seen? So uh, the way we do it at Monument now, so I mean, things have changed. I, I wanna say the first thing is you have to make adjustments if things aren't working. So um, it, it was hard in the beginning. Um, and I can talk about some barriers with implementing SEL later on. Um, so at this current moment, <laughs> we do our fifth and sixth graders Monday and Wednesday. They have it for this year will be 30 minutes. Last year it was 45 minutes. Um, and then seventh and eighth have it Tuesdays and Thursdays um, for 30 minutes. Um, so the person that teaches it is, so we're boarding school, as I said. So we have house parents and they pair up with a counselor or one of our behavior techs. And that's who is implementing the program. So they actually go to training with me once a week for an hour on the, and then they receive a very detailed lesson plan from me about what to do in the class. I would say for me, the first year was probably the toughest, the big barrier. It's, it's hard to talk about this without talking about the barriers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the first year you didn't have a DBT manager, right? That's was, right kind of everybody was just working on it. They were assigned their classes and they didn't have somebody who was kind of really overseeing them in a direct way of training every week. You're right. Well, so there was a person that was training, but it wasn't like a person that was familiar enough with DBT to, to and then that, that training honestly was, it was hard because it was, you know, um, so our students don't respond well to PowerPoint. Um, it feels too much like class for them. And just to back up a little bit, as I had said before, 100% African-American, 70% um, male. So they like to move and get up and they don't want to sit there. And, and so another thing is 50% of our children have IEPs. So, you know, you're dealing with a lot of, um, you know, learning disabilities, a lot of emotional disturbances, and 30% of our home of our population is homeless. So we're really talking about like tier two, tier three kids, even though it's your entire school population, 
there, if we think about a multi-tiered system of support, your kids are typically in the tier two or tier three categories. Correct, correct. And if you, uh, we only have 100 kids about every year and it feels like 700, 700 kids because of the, the, the issues that we have at the school. So I just wanted to, you know, to make that clear. It might look a little different depending on what the school is. Um, so when we, we do our skills, Last year's at the end of the day, that ended up not being so great. So we're moving it back up to the beginning of the day to start out their day in a mindfulness place. Um, what I would say is the biggest barrier that we've had is staff buy-in. Mm -hmm. So I have noticed if your staff is not bought in, then the kids will not be bought in. And that's just for anything probably. So what I've done to increase staff buy-in is to you know ask them why they're here, why they want to be at my mind is a tough. I'm not gonna lie, our kids are tough. They you know these are they're fun, right? They're, they're fun and they're fun and they're very yeah. exciting things going on for them. Yeah, and they and I've seen them personally use skills and personally grow as things change. So we have um, diary cards that we look over. We have some assessments that we do. Um, and then we also have a lot of contests that we do. That's one thing that we do differently at Monument that people probably don't do. Um, so after every module, we'll have all the, the classes compete against each other. Well, we'll do fifth and sixth and seventh thing just to, like make it fair. But um, they will have like, we did, a, we did a song one time. This year we're gonna do make a mindfulness t-shirt. We're gonna do, um, we're probably gonna bring a song back because they really like the song. We did comic books. Um, and then we offered a prize. So that really helped with engagement with the students and the staff. The staff like really enjoyed, especially the music. So we do a lot of music, a lot of moving with our students because that's how they, they respond to those type of things. Um, so I would say since we've been incorporating those things, I have seen a change with the students. Like I've asked, I asked a kid who like he was not able to go. <laughs> I said, well, what happened? Why you didn't go to the, you know, to the, um, to the, the trip and he was like I was not in my wise mind I was not I was in my emotional mind and I was like okay you know so they're able to figure out what skills some of them know they like tip they're like get me an ice pack at this at this point so and sometimes they can't say the actual skill because they just don't know the name but they know that it's something to do, to do with DBT. So they're building a common language and vocabulary throughout the school building which sounds like that's a helpful like all the kids are learning these skills so it's not just a skill that somebody might be learning because they were in therapy or in the hospital and that they have to use but these are skills that we all use in school and language we all use in school yeah and that's another barrier i would say too is when it first came in people had this like what you said and i was not in my head um about you know the perception of it being for suicidal or being for i actually had a parent come up to me and say well why are you trying to teach my kid this they don't self-harm they don't do these things and i'm like you know and then you know you slowly for first of all you got it and then you, you slowly walk them back and walk them through what it what it really is and what we're really teaching and that's by the end of the conversation they were really in favor of it and um wanted to know what their skills like what like if they could so this year actually we're going to do a parent skill group um, once a month or twice a month, I got to figure out what that looks like um, at our school just to teach the parents the skills so that they could know. And I, and I, I often email my parents like, 
sometimes I take my lesson plan and like take parts of it and, and email it to a parent that I know is having a hard time. Which we have lots of schools that do that. I think it's a common thing. And it's an important part of implementation to have like a parenting newsletter, right? Lots of SEL programs do that, not just ours, where like if there's a weekly SEL lesson, then a parent worksheet or a parent newsletter goes home talking about what those skills are. I love the idea of many, we've had lots of schools that do this that will have either like quarterly or um, once a month or once every month, like parent seminars where the kids can, where the parents can come and learn the skills. And sometimes even schools will have kids come and teach the skills to the parents, right? And what is that doing? That's strengthening the students' understanding. Right. It also gives them some leadership opportunities. Right. Uh, what I want to comment about uh, that Mariah has done, and I love it, Mariah, is that the first year was hard. We know that when you introduce anything, the first time that you do it, it's hard. It's kind of like riding a bike or swimming, right? The first time you do it is really hard. The fact, Mariah, is that you teacherize it. And we talk about this in our training when we do the uh, Steps A uh, training is that we wrote a book to be more generic and we need our teachers, the people that are instructing the in doing the uh, DBT Steps A curriculum, we need them to teacherize it so it makes more sense to their kids. So the fact that you put in music and comic books and things, fantastic, because that's what helps your kids. Your kids need to move. So you guys know your population more than we do at this point. And then we want you to put the, the spin or we want you to increase the effectiveness of the skills by teacherizing it. And so that just sounds fantastic to me. And, and, um, and you were saying that you think that the uh, students are learning the skills more this year than they did the previous year because of the adaptations that you've made, the teacherizing that you've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, and they, some of the, some of them, it's so funny, some of the skills that they catch on to, I didn't think that they would really like. And I was telling Liz, like, one is like, you know, radical acceptance and, you know, check the facts. They just, they just automatically, I, I was, I was very surprised at sometimes, <laughs> but about how, you know, these skills that seem so up in the air and so big that they can really grasp and use in their lives. So, uh, and another thing that we always do in training is always um, use kind of what our kids go through in, in our, in our like, lessons and in our uh, examples that we give to the kids. That's, that's, you just have to, you have to make some adaptations. Right. right. You're using examples that are relevant to your kids because examples that we wrote when we were developing the curriculum, right? They, we have some kids who are like in Washington, DC, the examples may not be exactly the same as we have for kids in rural Texas or rural Wisconsin. Right. And so you have to go with examples that are relevant to the lives of your students. And I think that's really important. I want to go back to something that I think you said is really important is about staff buy-in. And I think the things that we've been able to work on with Monument this year is one, it's not all staff buy-in, it's the staff who have to teach the class, right? Is getting their buy-in. That's what you, were you talking about that specifically? Yeah. Um, and then two, you started saying, you started working this year, which has made a difference on building the commitment of the staff of getting them to identify and articulate why they work at Monument and why it's important to teach these skills to the students. Yeah, right? and, and I have them work on, and I have them do the skills themselves. Exactly. I think that is the, the key. And when we do training, I come in with a lot of energy. I'm always exhausted after. 
Um, and I make it fun. I make training fun. It's not like, like people tell me all the time they want to come to training. Like they like coming to training. It feels like a relief for them. We do the actual mindfulness exercise in the training. I just don't tell them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that them using the skills in their life is, is the key. That's the real key. Cause then that's they they're buying. They see how they're, if they're relevant to them, it's relevant to everybody else. Um, and so one of the things that I really like about what monument does, because you, the people who are the staff that are teaching your class are house parents. They're actually not mental health professionals and they're not trained teachers either. So there's this part, like they're also having to get comfortable with getting up in front of a class and teaching. So then being able to use those skills for that part is really important. I know you have the counselors that they get paired with, but the primary teacher of the content is often the house parent. And being able to, like they've all gone through um, our comprehensive three-day training. And then the fact that you come in every week and go specifically over this week's lesson helps to reinforce that with them and that level of commitment of monument to get everybody trained and give them prep time and training time i think from an administrative perspective is one of the reasons why implementation goes well with you guys good point um and so i would love to hear um you know we're from jim we're not the only social emotional learning curriculum that's out there no we're not right and i think that's important to notice. Also, it's the one that we have experience with. It's one that's being implemented at Monument. But can you talk about, in general, some other social emotional learning curriculums that you see that schools use, especially because we're more for the middle and high school. What are programs that you see being effective in elementary schools? So, you know, uh, often we have uh, schools that are implementing uh, zones of regulation. Uh, second step is, is a common one, right? Uh, ruler and all these programs are good right and so the, the one thing that I think that we have a small advantage over is that um, the number of SCL programs in elementary school is quite high there's probably like you know 21 to 23 uh, programs that the uh, the collaboration for academic and social emotional learning what we call CASEL has approved right so there's a lot of them when you get into middle school, there's like six. And when you get into high school, there's five. So it actually reduces as the decisions that our kids are making become more and more important. Yeah. So all four early learning, I think that's really important, right? And how to talk about your emotions and how to play and share. I think those are all important. Yeah. I right? think our kids started learning um, second steps when they were in preschool and then all the way through elementary school up until about fourth grade they were learning. yeah and our kids also learn uh, zones of regulation right so yeah. that, that that's another one so absolutely right and what we want to do is keep that continuum going of learning things right and so second step and zones of regulation they kind of stop when they get d- done with the elementary school so what we did is say hey look the decisions that you're making now about how to hang out with your friends um, the dis- discussions about what you're going to do when you're hanging out with your friends, right? And then uh, the intimacy pieces become really important. And so how do you start with asking somebody on a date? And how do you start with intimacy in those things, right? Because those are all things that are hard for us as even as adults. And so now think about it being an adolescent when it's the first time that you're trying to figure out this for yourself, it causes a lot of emotion. So we focused our curriculum on that emotional distress. Whereas most of the other curriculums are focused on 
self-awareness, self-management, relationships, right? Not necessarily on emotional dysregulation. And academic performance and organization. They do. Um, And I I love the elementary school programs because I I think they're great foundational building blocks for moving into um, having social-emotional learning in middle and high schools. You know, the thing that's always interesting to me, and this fits with one of the barriers that, Mariah, you were talking about, when you're in elementary school, like kids are typically in one classroom all day with the same teacher. So that teacher has a lot of control over the classroom schedule from day to day. When we hit middle school, that's when our kids start changing teachers for every period, for every subject. And so then what I have to teach during my LA period or my social studies period, like I've got to get my content in during that little time, there's less flexibility in the schedule. So being able to figure out where do we move SEL curriculum into the schedule in middle and high school, that becomes one of the barriers that's more difficult. And there's been a variety of ways that we've seen schools implementing um, from putting it in their health education class. Lots of schools now have wellness or advisory periods. They put it in there. Um, And then we have some school, I have one school, one particular school that I know very well that it's in the sixth and seventh grade social studies class. And then they link all of the examples to what they're learning and how does it impact in their LA classes, language arts, they'll link it to what are the characters in the book doing um, in that way. And then we've got other schools that just, you know, on six, at sixth period, every Wednesday, whatever class you're in, that's the SEL curriculum day. So all the teachers, regardless of which period or subject they teach, are teaching this lesson this week on that day. And so schools have to get creative. And this is where I think having administrative support from a structural standpoint is really helpful for whatever SEL curriculum you're going to use. But that's one of the big barriers. It's harder to fit in in middle school and high school um, and to get the teachers who have the access to students all day to be the ones who teach it. Because often they look for the school mental health staff as the ones who are going to address SEL. But school mental health staff, like our school counselors, our school psychologists, they don't have a class. They don't have a spot regularly in the schedule. And pushing into a class can be really difficult. And trying to do that many kids is, is you can't, it's just physically, like the numbers just don't match up. Yep. And I love you, you know, saying all these different ways that people are doing it. I will say every year it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, va- it's, it's, it's this, you know, it's a, it's a struggle every year of where we're going to put this, yep. where we're going to, where we're going to place our SEL program. Do we start off the day in the mindfulness place and then push everything down? But then the issue becomes at that last period, are they now tired? And so they don't want to do their social studies at Eli, whatever that last class is. Um, so it definitely is a, is a push and pull between academics and SEL. And the argument is made specifically at my school is that, you know, as teachers, the biggest complaint is the emotional piece. Yeah. So if we get that taken care of first thing in the morning, then that will set them up for the rest of the day. So mm-hmm. I really like it in the beginning of the morning, um, especially with having the house parent mo- model that we do because they come right downstairs and they go right into their DBT class. And it just is a kind of chill, zen way <laughs> to, to start their day. And a fun way too, because they, they really enjoy our mindfulness activities. And then the other beauty at your school, because it's a weekday boarding school and it's the house parents that are coming down and teaching the class, 
the kids then return to that house, to that dorm that evening every day with those same house parents who know the skills. So that generalization piece works out really nicely in your school. Yeah, I was going to comment. Uh, I, so I love that um, that spin, that angle that you're using, because one of the things that's an advantage to elementary school is that the teacher, because you have the same teacher for you know the, the five hours, is that that teacher can then talk about skills in different classes, different content classes, whether it's spelling, language arts, whatever they're doing, right? They can talk about different characters and they can ask the students to use some of the skills that they learned earlier because they, they taught them, right? When you get to middle and high school, the relationships with the teachers aren't the same because you're not with them all day. And so the house parents though have these students for every morning and every evening. So there is a relationship that's there that it comes back to every single day that they're there, mm -hmm. all the weekdays. And so I think that that's really important. It's not just a 40 minute segment or a 50 minute segment that's there. They, these house parents spend hours with them in the morning and hours with them in the evening. So the relationship building piece becomes really important. And I think our kids need that if they're gonna be vulnerable with the adults because they don't want the adults to, to judge them. They don't want it to be seen as you know, somehow faulted or weak or whatever else. And so uh, there's a lot of pride that happens during that adolescent time. And yeah. sometimes gets in the way of our students wanting to learn skills because they want to say, I don't have any issues. I'm, I'm good. You know? And so, and all of us need to work on ourselves, right? All of yeah. us can use these skills. And then all the adults in your building being able to model their own skill use also normalizes it for the students of being able to use skills. Yeah. One thing I forgot to say is that our, our classes are divided by gender. So just specifically for DBT, it's, yep. it's all gender you know, I, it might have to shift this year because of COVID, you know, you want to stay with the same group the whole, the whole time. So, you know, we'll see how that works out. Uh, but that it, it allows for a vulnerability that doesn't usually happen when you start to mix genders. And because we're so male heavy, it's very easy to say, well, this one class is the girls and everybody else is the boys. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you're looking at that. I just, I really think it's important to highlight, because um, this is important when it comes to implementation, like this barrier and how implementation is a two to five year process. You guys are now um, about to start your third year of implementation. So you've had two years. And in the middle of those two years, there was a lot of um, struggle school-wide with structure and administration and what that looked like and having to shift with lots of new staff between year one and year two. And now that you're moving into year three, there's a much smoother groove that you are all in in regards to how Steps A is going to be taught. And the fact that you have and your staff have persevered through the first and second year of bumps and struggles and a big shift in staff um, speaks a lot to your own staff using the skills to tolerate their own distress and to problem solve effectively. That's a good, that's a really good point. And a place I was at before that was residential, they had been doing it for three, I think they were on their fourth or fifth year when I came in and they did it cottage by cottage. Yep. So the last cottage didn't come on until I came on and that was the fourth year um and then that was that and they so the way that they did it was they they separated their cottages by diagnosis so the conduct the C was the conduct disorder uh cottage and they got it last 
So it was actually easier to do our research on them because they didn't have DBT versus the, the students who did. And we did a comprehensive DBT. Right, you were a clinic. That was a clinical yeah, yeah. treatment program. But just looking how they, they implemented was very different. They slowly bought the school in. Um, we went all in uh, the first time. So, it, I mean, it's different ways, ways to do it. And at that point, when I had got there, I was like, oh, DBT, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cottage cheese getting on it this year, we're fine. And, and it was like, you know, running like clockwork. And so I'm in the middle of, of that right now. And I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because just like anything else, it's, it just takes time. I don't know of anything that you're gonna jump in and it's gonna be great. It's always, you know, gonna be this push and pull in the beginning. Right, and I think that's so important, right? Not to give up. Even that first year, it's gonna be hard, right? And so you, it, the long-term goals though that you have, and, and Mariah, you, you check this with your own staff, which I love, right? That why are you coming to Monument? This is not an easy place to work. These kids are hard. So let's check why you're doing this and then keep that in mind about why you wanna give some of these skills to the kids. Cause we know long-term these kids need them. It's, we're gonna set them up for greater success, whatever that looks like in DC or maybe they, they move, right? And so I think just making sure you go back to those values uh, would be important right. for the staff. Culture shift takes time. It does. And yeah. that's what we're looking at. All right, guys. It was so great. I'm glad you joined us yeah. today, Jim Th and Mariah. Always me. fun doing this with you. Um, we hope you all enjoyed this. You found this informative, not just about um, what DBT Step Say is or how we implement it at Monument Academy, but really start thinking about social-emotional learning and how does your school address social-emotional learning? Is it just, you know, three or four classes throughout the year, or is it a standardized curriculum? And to think about going into this fall in the midst of a pandemic where kids have been out of school for so long um, in person, how are you going to address the mental health needs of your students come 2020, 2021 and into the future? So get yourselves thinking about that, talking to your administration and what's your why in why you wanna teach this to your students. So we thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next time on How Come Nobody Taught Me This in School. And you guys can uh, catch us on the gram. Um, it's How Come They Didn't podcast on IG. We really want to get your questions. I want to know what you guys are doing um, and how you're implementing SEL in, in your, your, your school. So please hit us up and uh, let us know those things. And what's the Instagram name we have? How come they didn't podcast? How come they didn't podcast? That's what it is. I know it's I know it's a little crazy, but yeah. so come find us there, Liz and Mariah. How come they didn't podcast on Instagram? And we'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>